Chapter 3 of Paul, A Herald of the Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Paul, A Herald of the Cross by Florence M. Kingsley. Chapter 3, The Soothsayer. Have a care, Ethiopian dogs, that there be not so much as a fleck of dust upon the beasts, else shall ye taste the lash. Look to that hind leg there, set you. Eyes on your work, idle devils. The slaves, who were engaged in rubbing down the glossy flanks of a pair of spirited Arabians, looked up apprehensively, then bent to their task with redoubled vigor. The man who had spoken passed on to the inspection of a gilded chariot, which was being cleansed of dust in the courtyard. Here he was presently joined by a curled and perfumed youth, wearing the livery of the Caesars. "'Thou art in good spirits to-day, my codress,' remarked the newcomer, languidly adjusting his girdle. "'Why not? It was told me that thou hadst the misfortune to spill a drop of wine on the robe of his worshipful highness Agrippa at supper last night, and that thy master had thee scourged for it.' "'Thou hast heard a lie, slave,' returned Codrus with a black look. The other laughed and beat the palms of his hands softly together. I am a slave, verily. But what art thou, good Codrus? In mine own country, I was the owner of an hundred such gilded chattels as thou art, said Codrus contemptuously. By the fortunes of war, I became what I am, a slave. Yes, a brute, if thou wilt. But, and the speaker showed his white teeth in a savage grin, I am able to avenge an insult, even as a man. Spoken like an orator, exclaimed the other, with a gesture of fervid admiration. Nay, like a prince, the owner of a hundred slaves, ha ha! And yet, alas, thyself a slave, beaten at a nod from thy master. He fled away with a mocking laugh just in time to avoid a part of the harness which the other in his exasperation had flung at his head. May the gods smite him with madness, growled the slave angrily, as he turned his attention to the harnessing of the horses. Presently, the last strap being adjusted, he sprang into the chariot and standing erect in the driver's place, guided the prancing animals through the narrow passage which led into the great outer court of the palace drawing up with a skillful flourish at the broad flight of steps before the principal entrance. From this doorway presently issued two men. One of them was dwarfish, misshapen, pallid, red-haired, yet he was by no means insignificant-looking. In his cold, crafty eyes, and about the corners of his thin, colorless lips, lurked a curiously inhuman expression. He resembled some dangerous beast, imperfectly disguised in human form but whether this animal would turn out to be a swine or a wolf when once unmasked was not clear to the thoughtful beholder for the rest he wore the showy scarlet and gold trappings of a general in the roman army his companion was a singularly handsome man of the jewish type his dark regular features and broad-shouldered athletic figure were set off to advantage by his toga of white wool bordered with a narrow tracery of the imperial purple. To the springs, Codrus, commanded the Roman. Ah, the Arabians are in good spirits today. A pretty pair. Sayest thou not so, Prince Agrippa? 
There is not their equal at the palace, Micaias, returned the man in the white toga, regarding the flying horses approvingly. The emperor is perchance too deeply absorbed in matters of statecraft to notice the occupants of the royal stables. Both men laughed softly at this. I must secure a pair for myself, and at once, continued Herod. Canst thou commend me, an honest dealer? Nay, I will do more. If these animals please thee, my Agrippa, they are thine, together with the chariot and the slave. By Apollo, thou hast a more than royal generosity. I have sojourned a month in the imperial palace and have not seen the like. Alas, our divine Tiberius is grievously beclouded by age and infirmities. Happily the gods will soon release him from the burden of his mortality. And when thou shalt come to pass, the scepter of the world shall fall into a worthier hand. Then let the ruler of the universe remember his friends with the same royal favor. Caius made no reply, but a fierce light leapt up at his eyes. Jehovah hasten the day, added Herod with fervor. Caius laughed aloud. There speaks the Jew, he exclaimed, and yet thy Jehovah, for aught I know, is every whit as powerful as Jupiter. Agrippa's dark face flushed. I fear neither Jove nor Jehovah, he cried scornfully. Beware how thou dost provoke the gods to anger, said Caius with a superstitious shiver. Thou art right as usual, son of Grammanicus, said Agrippa gaily. I will offer a hedicomb of victims in the temple when next I visit Jerusalem, and thus appease my countrymen as well as their god. As for the gods of Rome, thou art the last man to deny that I am a devotee of Bacchus. The rhythmic feet of the horses and the clank of the silver harness chains filled the silence that followed. They had neared Putioli by this time, and were skimming swiftly along the smooth road which bordered the shore at that point. Below them lay the exquisite bay of Cumae, its blue waters flecked with the white sails of numerous fishing craft, while within the shelter of the gigantic mole, which stretched its piers of solid masonry far out into the waters, lay a swarm of merchantmen busily discharging their cargoes. Not far away, a group of royal galleys reflected the dazzling beams of the sun from their carved and gilded sides, and with their sails of silken stuff half-furled, reminded the beholder of a bevy of gorgeous birds from some strange faraway clime. On the right loomed the dark form of Vesuvius, the walls and towers of Pompeii, and Herculaneum, gleaming whitely amid the masses of verdure at its foot. Nearer at hand, and overlooking the bay, was the town of Petuli, with its baths, amphitheaters, temples, and its avenues, lined with the palaces of Roman nobles. There is a certain spring within the shelter of this grove of olives, which I would have thee taste, my Agrippa, said Caius at length. In my opinion, it surpasses all the fountains of bay yonder. Thou wilt find it a wondrous spur to the appetite. Let us taste then, said the Jewish prince, languidly, a feast with no stomach, for it is worse than the bumpers of Tantalus. I have tried both, he added with a grimace. The two now dismounted from the chariot and entered the shadow of the grove. From betwixt the gnarled roots of an ancient olive, a fountain clear as crystal gushed into its basin of golden-hued pebbles, and thence with a musical rush and tinkle fled away toward the sea. 
A veritable haunt of dryads, said Agrippa, looking about him. And by Bacchus, he added with a laugh, we have stumbled upon the presiding genius of the place. Caius drew back with a smothered oath and laid his hand upon the dagger in his girdle. Upon the soft earth at their feet, well nigh hidden by the luxuriant branches of laurel, lay the half-naked figure of a man. He had evidently been asleep, but at the sound of the voices he raised his shaggy head and fixed his savage eyes upon the intruders. Then he slowly rose to his feet. Be gone, commanded Caius with a gesture of disgust. I must needs obey the words of one on whom the gods have set the seal of an awful majesty, answered the man in a strange hollow voice. Emperor of Rome, yet destined to die by an assassin's dagger, I salute thee. Then he turned to Agrippa. Hail, King Agrippa, for thou shalt be king, and thy son after thee. Yet beware the day when thou shalt again behold the bird of Minerva. In that day thou shalt surely die. Agrippa involuntarily raised his eyes in obedience to the wild gesture of the man, and saw, perched in the leafy branches above his head, a small brown owl of a sort common enough in the neighborhood of Petuli. Caius was the first to recover himself. "'Where is the fellow?' he cried. "'I believe by Apollo that he hath taken wings to himself. I did but lift mine eyes for an instant, and behold, the place is empty.' He is hid within the laurel thicket, replied Agrippa hurriedly. But let be. The man is mad perchance, and we have no guard. The slave Codrus, wrapped in his gloomy thoughts, stood holding the bits of the horses. He was scarce conscious of a swift shadow that flitted past him, but he fancied that he heard a sound as of mad laughter echoing from the hills beyond. I will do this thing, he muttered, his eyes glowing fiercely. The gods have willed it. I am a slave. I will be a slave no longer. End of chapter 3. Recording by Scarlet, Louisiana.